What's up, guys? Welcome to The Hype Group. This morning, we had an awesome chat with another incredible person. Uh, I'm not going to be able to do this intro any justice because this woman has just done so much and you're not even going to believe how old she is. It's Montana Farah Eaton. She is, first of all, I'm going to drop a combat athlete, but um, she's also represented Australia in basketball. She's a Nike athlete. She's a personal trainer. She is a model. She's done so many things, and we had a great chat about all of it. Guys, I'm really excited for you to listen to this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. As always, the podcast is brought to you by Combat Nutrition, cmbt.com.au. Check it out. We even have a Hypecast discount of 20% for anyone that's interested. Just type in Hypecast at the checkout to get yours now. I hope you enjoy the podcast, guys. Hypecast Melbourne. Dude, Hypecast Melbourne. I like it. Hypecast Fitzroy. Yeah. Three one. Oh no. Had a it's couple here now. Yeah. You got to so. get the suburb. What's the postcode? I have no idea. So we should know that. Richmond's cool because it's like rich what three one two one. Yeah, I should know that. Three zero six five. Fitzroy's three zero six five. What up? <laughs> Start rolling whenever you young lads and girls are ready. (laughs) How old are you? 22. 22. That's so young. That's actually really crazy. That's so young. And wait till we hear all the shit she's done. It's going to be even crazier. (laughs) Oh, man. Just before we were talking about Montana's schedule today and every time we talk and I hear what she's doing in the day, it's something crazy. Yeah, <laughs> she Always went to a movie obscure. premiere last night as well. Mm. Look how Very fancy much. you are! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is fancy. fancy. You're so fancy. Still wanted sneakers on there. You still wore sneakers? No, I didn't. I wore heels. But did you wear a dress? Nah, I wore jeans. <laughs> Fair call. <laughs> you can't do both. Yeah. <laughs> Man, if Definitely anyone can do work. both, it's you. Yeah, I try. Yeah, I try. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I love about Montana, and this is what I want you to tell us all about. What what are you all about? What what's for anyone out there who doesn't know who you are? Give us a little bit of a background on on who you are. Oh God! All right, this go for a while. Um, basically, I've always grown up in a very sporty family. Um, my mum played basketball and swimming, uh, athletics, basically everything underneath the sun. Um, and then my dad was a race car driver. And used to ride motorbikes. Um, He had a bad motorbike accident when he was 17. So um, he now walks with a bit of a limp. Um, So for me, growing up, that was just always something that was in my DNA. Playing sports. Started with basketball, uh, swimming. Yeah, represented my nation in both basketball and swimming. Um, And from someone that was so scared of getting in a pool. was like, pretty ironic. Like, the hate of the water. Um... And then, yeah, swimming is probably like the first sport I put a lot of um, of my time into. And then going through primary school and high school, it's kind of like all right, basketball, netball, swimming, athletics, triathlons, what do I choose? Um, and I think basketball because it had that family, family connection with my mom and my grandfather who I was really close with before he passed away. 
that was kind of what we did together. You know, he'd come out. Um, my father was, my grandfather, sorry, was quite sick that he was in a wheelchair at some times and he'd still come and teach me how to shoot a ball properly. Not that I listened, but um, <laughs> yeah, so they were just like fond memories for me. So basketball was my one sport I kind of stuck with for a while. Um, represented New South Wales country for seven years, played three on three for New South Wales as well before it now blew up into this massive worldwide um, event, you know, now in the Olympics. So it's pretty cool. But, um, yeah, captain a couple of my teams when I was top age for New South Wales. Um, not that it was all, like, easy going and I just wanted to, like, keep going with basketball and I loved it. Definitely went through my phases of not loving the sport as much anymore. Wanted to tell my mum or told my mum, you know, like, I want to quit. I'm done. I'm over. Just one more year, one more year. Um and if it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't have made the Australian team. Um, I made the Australian team threes in a row. Played over in Fiji, New Zealand. And then we went to um, the world over in Russia. So did a month in Russia, Amsterdam and Spain. Crazy. And it was a pretty epic experience traveling with 12 girls that like now I consider my sisters. You know, you've got your coaches and everything. And you, yeah, traveling at such a young age. I th- or I mean, I think I was... 18 at that point yeah. but going away for a month at a time you know without your parents it was probably like the biggest time that I was like oh god yeah do you love you mum <laughs> you gonna do my washing no um that was really good such a great experience we'll do it over and over again and I thank my mum every day for pushing me that little bit further um then after that I've been modeling since I was about 15 um so then I moved to I moved to Melbourne for a little bit, like on and off. Um, and then I got a contract over in India to go modeling. So did my preseason for basketball, felt fantastic. Was like, this is going to be a great season. Pity I'm not playing. Um, had a great team and everything. But it was really good to, you know, still work at my craft. Um, I then boxed a little bit to keep fit for all of that as well. So when I went over to India, I just boxed and went to the gym, kind of fell in love with boxing a little bit. Um, then I travelled Europe, so I did uh, Italy, France, Germany and London, modelled over there as well. So gone from one month away from my family to six months. Uh, I don't think my mum got a wink of sleep the whole time I was away. <laughs> when I got home, everyone was like, thank God you're home, your mother can sleep. <laughs> um, very typical Lebanese and Spanish, very worrying but um, very caring. So then got back from that and was like, all right, I'm a little bit broke, don't have any money. Um <laughs> enjoyed myself a little bit too much so moved home worked for my family's motel um which I'd been doing since I was 12 mm. just stayed there again back and forth between Melbourne and Aubrey where I grew up for modeling um a few other events and kind of stayed on the basketball scene didn't play but just went and watched games and stuff like that with the NBL um then rolls into 2018 I believe um and I yeah, it was really like, no, 2017, sorry, I like kind of really moved into Melbourne, started at Tribute Boxing, started training there, trained there for about six months um, and then I got asked to fight and I was like, yeah, all right, let's do this. Told my mum, I think about three weeks before the fight um, and she was like, that'd be real great for your modelling career, broken nose again, <laughs> all this sort of stuff. So I was like, no, nah, mum, I'll just get so good they can't hit me. Yeah doesn't work like that <laughs> um anytime i'd have like a bruised nose i'd like be talking to mum with my hand over my nose and she'd be like, what are you doing nothing nothing um so she came down and supported that so i fought, fought in middle of um 2018 
um that was probably like one of the best experiences that I've kind of had a lot of my close friends were in that group um I considered brothers and sisters so for me that was more so about the journey rather than about the actual fight um I had a pretty weird fight like lead up and a lot of people have to lose weight for their fight um about five weeks out my opponent first opponent got pneumonia so she had to pull out then my second opponent couldn't fight because of she was already an amateur and how it was kind of sanctioned so two weeks out I've kind of got no opponent still training hard um and our sparring partner was this like six foot two 75 kilo Canadian chick we sparred great so 75 kilos she had about 15 kilos on me um and yeah, it was sparring great. And I think it was like six days out, last sparring session. And we kind of like, all right, do you want to fight me? And we're like, yeah, all right, let's do it. <laughs> so we go in like fight order and I'm co-main event. So I'm nine out of the 10. So I'm just chilling out. One of my friends was the third fight. And um, she was just sparring one of the boys and went to throw a left hook, didn't land it and dislocated her shoulder. <laughs> so she was, um, yeah, that was pretty horrific. She's one of my closest friends. So you know, holding her shoulder there while we're waiting for the ambulance for a good hour. I was like, this is the worst, but like, you're just there and you don't think about it. And then went to the hospital and it was kind of like, all right, well, we're six days out. What happens? Like her opponent had family coming down from Brisbane that already booked flights and accommodation. My opponent wasn't really a member. So, um, I ended up fighting her opponent. So she'd gone from trying to gain weight to six weeks out, trying to lose weight. And I had to gain seven kilos somehow in six days. Um, let's just say it probably wasn't done the right way, but um, drank far too much water. Um, so, yeah, weighing for me was probably the most horrific. Everyone's standing up there, shirts off, showing their muscles and how lean they are. I look white as a ghost and I look like I'm going to vomit, which I did shortly after. Um, yeah, and then fought the next night. And having a very competitive background, I didn't take it like very lightly, you know, face-offs before the fight, everyone in the arena was like, I was just scared looking at you, but that's just like all the fun and games for me. That's what we do, a bit of white line fever in basketball. Um, and we're all love afterwards. So it was an amazing experience. Definitely thought I was better than what I was. Um, but then after that fight, I was kind of just like kept going on my craft, kept building, um, fine tuning everything, still enjoying it. Um, and then that got me a job at Tribute. So for the past 18 months, I've been working at Tribute. Um, had a couple of fighters on a few fight nights, um, assisted coach as well. Then at the end of 2018, I um, went to Albania for a beauty pageant. Um, so that was kind of like another thing that. that people were like, what? <laughs> beauty pageant? <laughs> so I was like Miss Australia um, for the Miss Glow beauty pageant. So I was over in Albania for two weeks. Um, working like 17 hour days, still getting up in the mornings, like, you know, 5am to go to the gym. The girls were getting up at the same time to do their makeup and I was ready in like 20 minutes. I was like, yeah, let's go. Um, yeah, pretty like low maintenance with all that sort of stuff. And then I came runner up in that. Um, so that was bizarre, but pretty cool. Um, then came back straight back into work, straight back into everything. Um, I don't think I had a nothing at the moment I landed. I then was back at work at like 5am the next morning and, then flew to Sydney that afternoon and yeah, didn't really have a chance to kind of like relax. Three weeks later it hit me and I got sick. So that kind of gave me a big lesson in like, probably don't take on more than you can chew. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a bit on my plate at the end of 2018, but then, um, the biggest thing, one of my dreams has always been to like sign with Nike or be involved with Nike. 
and I got an email um, to be part of Nike running. So um, that was a campaign they were running for six months of 2019. Um, so we built up to run a half marathon. And yeah, so from January this year, I've been signed with Nike, um, ran a half marathon, which has been on my bucket list for a while. Well, I ran one in December, but I didn't train for it. So that was just terrible. Um, yeah, but then did two this year um, and then re-signed for Melbourne, which is in a week's time. Um, and that's always been on my bucket list. So I'm a little bit anxious, a little bit scared. So one week out or nine days out um, until my first marathon. But um, yeah, the last like, I think really since moving to Melbourne and committing here for the past like 18 months has been such a whirlwind for me to be thinking at 22 that I'm involved with such an amazing brand like Nike and meeting the people that I am. Um, yeah, I can't thank my blessings enough. Podcast over. (laughs) (laughs) What a story. Dude, all, she's only 22. This is just crazy. I I sort of don't even know where to start with you. Hey, because when I first met you, um, you could obviously tell how mature you were, how much influence you had in your local area and, and abroad as well. And obviously over social media and all these sorts of things. And the moment you said your age, I'm like... Oh man, you're one of those guys. Like, you've done so much. It's so amazing, and you're almost like I think the word is like an oxymoron, where it's just like you're two polar opposites. Like you're you've got the grunge and you've got the the fight in you, and you've got this like tenacity, and then you can stand on stage at a beauty pageant, do your thing, feel good, rock it, and then like bring it all together, and that's you. And I think that's like the real special thing about you because people are so self-conscious in today's society and they're either one way or the other how do you sort of maintain this ability to just feel comfortable with who you are and not be sort of affected by everyone else's judgments and opinions and all these sorts of things yeah it is hard um especially with social media being such a massive influence i mean look at instagram taking off the likes just because of how much it affects people's Mm -hmm. you know mental health and i totally agree with that but it's also one thing you have to be strong in yourself to be like, okay, this is what she looks like on social media. But the amount of times I've heard someone be like, oh, I saw so-and-so in real life. They look nothing like they look on social media. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No one looks like they do on social media because it's the best version of yourself. You know, like I've got photos that I put up and there might be the next photo across that I've taken, you know, 80 photos to get that one and the one across. And I'm like, God, <laughs> who is that? <laughs> like, you know, it's just one of those things I've always been pretty lucky that I've got a, you know, pretty good, pretty good confidence in myself. Um, but also I'm pretty comfortable in who I am. Um, and I think that comes from a great support network. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My family for me has always been really supportive. I've been very lucky with that. Um, growing up, you know, my brother's four years older. You know, you go through different stages where you hate each other, you love each other. Um, but he'll always be one of my backbones. My mum is my best friend. My dad tells me every day you look good in the brown paper sack he doesn't care <laughs> you know they just love you for you um and i'm pretty lucky with my group of friends here in melbourne and in albury that they're very supportive and they're always there um and then now my boyfriend um probably one of the most supportive people i've got in my life at the moment always there for me um and again it was like you could dye your hair blonde and put on 30 kilos and i still love you like yeah. it's he loves me was inside and i think that's what people kind of lose how they feel about themselves you know they're like oh i don't look great on the outside but you can still love yourself from the inside um and i think one thing if you don't love yourself how can you expect anyone else to love you Mm -hmm. so it is hard but 
I think just by not worrying about too much about the socials, don't compare yourself. Just be like, oh yeah, that girl's gorgeous, but so am I, if that makes sense. I noticed that, um, I was going to ask this question anyway, but you said it within the spiel when you were talking about all the crazy stuff that you do that, um, where you were from in regards to your family origination. Because when I first met you and I saw you boxing, but then I talked to you like, I'm going to go for a 40k run after this. I was like, fuck. And then I saw that you were modeling that night as I was like, fuck <laughs> she's doing a lot and then i also thought the only not the only way but then i thought there's a good chance that her background probably isn't um not no one's from australia per se apart from like <laughs> aboriginals but there's a good background that she's probably second generation immigrant or first generation immigrant from a hard-working european family and then my next thing i thought was i don't think she would have been born in Sydney or a city per se because she seems super humbled. So did that come from the family, like within the European network and everything like that? Yeah, definitely. So my mum's side, <clears throat> excuse me, is both Lebanese and Spanish. Yep. So I definitely get that from my mum's side. Not that my dad's side isn't hardworking, yeah. um, but I definitely have the same traits as my mum, I would say. And yeah. I definitely see it in my grandfather as well. He was very hardworking. I see it in my uncle. Um, and I just think that, yeah, having like, you know, people immigrate here and they've got to then build yeah. themselves up. Um, I was pretty lucky that Aubrey, where I grew up in, uh, a lot of Lebanese, that's where they migrated to. Okay, cool. So I have a lot of family history yeah. actually on both sides of my family, but more so on my mom's side, um, with cousins and there's a massive Lebanese culture there. Um, so I was pretty lucky that that's how I was kind of, you know, it goes back to that nature and nurture kind of argument, but I think, you know, it was already in my nature, but I was nurtured that way. And you can definitely tell people that, you know, and not in a bad way, were spoiled by their parents, but weren't, there's a thing about being spoiled. I I was definitely spoiled by my parents, but I was also learned, like taught how to work hard, Mm -hmm. you know, summer holidays off from school. My dad and uh, my dad owned a car yard. My brother and I would go and wash cars and vacuum cars and just do all that sort of stuff and help our parents. And that was what we had to do. We got money for it, but we had to work hard for that reward. Um, I think a lot of people just expect things to be given to them. And I've always learned that if you want it, go get it. Like, you know, a lot of people go, oh, you know, wait, it'll happen. Yeah, sometimes, you know, I even think that sometimes I'm like, oh, if it's meant to be, it'll be. Mm -hmm. Nah, if it's meant to be, go get it and it'll be type thing. So, 100%. It's a a dangerous conversation Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people on the other end saying, but I'm an Aussie and I'm a hard worker, but it's it's just true. Like my parent, my grandparents are European. You won't find harder working people. Um, but on the other end of the spectrum, my dad's an Aussie and he's a very hard worker too. Yeah. So you can definitely see those traits in, in Montana. You, you know, like not everyone can just go, I'm doing a podcast this morning. I've got two PTs. I'm going for a run. I'm doing a session. I've, you know, going to, what else are you doing today? Yeah. Oh, I've got some, you got some photo mega, shoot. mega, reformer <laughs> event i don't know how do you maintain that how do you look after that so a lot of people say to me and say like how do you do what you do i'm asking you the same question because every day your days are packed how do you do what you do and keep the motivation and and stay high because i love what i do perfect and nothing's the same every day like you know you'll see on my instagram a lot of people have said to me they're like you know oh you need to find your niche in instagram and what you want to do because it's just you don't know what you want to do I'm like, but I don't want to choose what I want to do. And I've had a lot of people that 
know about it. They're like, I call onto your Instagram and go, what is she today? Is she abroad? Is she right. a, in a evening dress? Is she playing basketball? Is she out training hard? They're like, we just don't know what we're going to get from you. You're so unpredictable every day. You're so different every day. And it's that versatility that I think that works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Why are they trying to put you in a box? I think uh, not so much try and put me into a box, but try and like really find my niche to then perfect it. But I've always been, I'm the same with my training. I've never, other than when I played basketball, you know, dedicated to that, I've never just done one thing and I've never just wanted to be great at one thing. I mean, it's good to be great at one thing, but I want to be just real good at everything. Like picked up Muay Thai the other day, did one session, was like, love it, let's do it. (laughs) I'm like, let's wait till after my marathon, then I'm in, all right? Um, but just things like that. I just want to try new things all the time. And for me running like this year has been like a big focus and look, I, w- I haven't had the motivation every day to go run. I won't, we'll be the first to say it. I don't have the motivation every day to train, but it's a motivation when you lack that it's a discipline that gets you in and trains, you know, like the motivation is going to make you work hard. The discipline is. So if you've got motivation to train, you know, you can be there and kind of like fluff around a little and work at 50%. But I just, I'd rather work at 100%, get it done, get in, get out. Um, I spend all my hours in the gym basically every day because of work. So when it's my time to train, I like to get outside the gym and just refresh my mind. What is your ultimate goal? Is it to do with sort of, is it a sporting thing? Is it an athletic thing? Or does that sort of like, you know, desire to be good at everything and keep hustling translate into business as well? I think it translates into business. Like I've always had, you know, when I was younger, my goal was to be the Victoria's Secret Angel. Now my goal's completely changed. Like yep. I always thought I wanted to model when I was younger and I do love it still, don't get me wrong, but now my niche of modeling has probably gone from more of your um, high end to more of your sporting and fitness, which I'm totally happy with because that works in very well with what else I do. Everything kind of integrates in perfectly because obviously I train hard. So then trying to, you know, make sure my body looks good, works well for my shoots and that sort of stuff. Um, I don't really know what my goal is at this point and what my, you know, end goal is. Um, but I definitely have always wanted to have my own business or something. I'm currently also studying business. Um, when I find the time, <laughs> my clients are always like, so how's your studying going? I was like, don't bring it it's up. It's not going. <laughs> I was like, bring it up again. You've got a hundred burpees. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm, you know, doing little things in time to kind of like get to my end goal. Um, it'll definitely be something to do with sport. I've always thought about opening up my own gym or something, but you know, maybe it'll be something different. Who knows? So what I love is that you answer that honestly. And you're like, I don't know what I want to do just yet, but I'm just hustling and I'm just enjoying the process along the way. What do you think? Do you have the same thought process that a lot of people out there have where they're like, I don't know what I want to do and everyone and all society is telling me I need to know what my goal is and what my passion is and all this sort of stuff. Do you feel like you have those sort of concerns sometimes or are you happy just doing what you're doing and you think it'll come? I'm happy with doing what I'm doing. I don't think I get that pressure from anyone else other than myself. Yep. Um, and obviously being 22 in a gym at the moment where everyone's, you know, majority five, six, seven years older you look up to them and you go, that's what I want to be. And that's how I want my business to look. But I want it now. Mm-hmm. I'm very impatient in that way. Um, and my mum's one of those people that's definitely like, just relax. Think how far you've come. 
you're 22 it'll happen but i'm very much like i want it now i want to do it now like give me everything now but i've also got to realize that it takes time for certain things to happen um but yeah i don't know i don't think anyone else has really put that stress on me other than myself i'll have days where i'm happy and content with where i am and then i'll have days that i'll be like to my mom i'm like no, nah, I want to change career because I'm not progressing in this. I want to go do this. Mm-hmm. I want to be a nine to five corporate lawyer. Yeah. I don't know. Just like <laughs> something completely obscure and different. But um, then I've just got to remember I've done a quite a lot for my age and I am quite successful in my own right. Mm-hmm. So just staying true to myself and knowing that yeah. what I want to do will eventually just come up. Yep. Yeah, I know um, obviously from the Melbourne connection and getting to see you at the gym and a lot of the people you hang around, as you mentioned, are also quite successful. And you guys have built a very, very cool community at the gym, also outside of the gym. I see um, obviously all the really cool stuff that you get to do is a big part of obviously your success um, surrounding yourself with some of the best in field at what they do, but others are just like obviously really good friends. It doesn't seem like there's any type of I often see it because of social media like some people get jealous and they actually end up in these weird relationships but all your relationships seem really really genuine with all your friends and people that you work with um so is that something that you've just naturally always built with your circle or um do you actually seek to find people that fit your network and help you grow I think um having such like a you know, the characteristics and personality traits that I do without even trying to search for them. You kind of just migrate towards them. Um, So one of my best friends I was talking about before that dislocated her shoulder, um, Meigs, she is about 12 years older than me, but my housemate's about 12 years older. She's one of my best friends. Just always how I've been. I've always just connected with people a lot older um, because when I played basketball, I was 13 playing on a women's team. Everyone was 10 years older, 8 years older. I didn't want to be the baby. I was like, nah, time to grow up. Not that I grew up too quick or anything like that, but just around certain people. I acted a lot more mature, and I think that's definitely helped me now why a lot of people think I'm a lot older than what I am. But, yeah, I think without actively seeking those types of people, I kind of just find them. Um, And don't get me wrong, sometimes, you know, you find people and you think they're one thing, and then you're like actually mm-hmm. i don't know about you yeah. um but i just try and find people that are just generally happy in their everyday today life obviously we all have our day and days but happy with who they are where they're at in life but want to keep getting better and keep hustling to be something better um yeah it's funny when people always guess my age i was like huh yeah. <laughs> when when we found out we were at brunch one morning after a session and i can't remember what she said and she goes how old do you think I am? And I was like, oh, I think I said that she was like five years younger than what she is. She's like, God, I'm keeping you around. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not because you look older. Yeah. It's just because of your, your just energy. Yeah. You're just like more mature, obviously. But like, I like Sel's question because like you are around, you are around circles that are, you know, of influence. You are going to movie premieres. You are living that sort of lifestyle where people are inviting you to parties and doing all these sorts of things. So you must come across people who definitely you think might be genuine and wanting to help you out, but their motives are completely alternate. How do you sort of find your way around 
who to connect with and who to sort of let go and, and not connect with. Yeah, I think it's very like prominent in social scenes, especially with influencers being such a big thing now. And I think young females are getting, you know, a lot of males are kind of like, oh, she's attractive. Oh, well, I do this, here's this, or I'll take you here and whatever. And girls can be easily persuaded and naive and think, you know, and I was probably like that a few years ago. Um, but I'm pretty lucky that I have a manager who, if, you know, someone comes to me with, he'll be at most events. So he manages me and one of my best mates. And if we're in an event together, he's most likely with us. But if he's not and they, you know, come with us like a business proposition or whatever, we'll be like, here's our manager's card. Mm-hmm. You'll never hear from them because yeah. they're like, oh, they've got <laughs> a manager. Okay, yeah, nah. So <laughs> it, it is hard. Um, and there are a lot of people that prey on that type of thing. But again, I think it goes back to that. You've just got to be comfortable and strong in yourself. And yeah, I don't know. Like people come up to you and it's, it's all about like they feel like what they can get from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes it could be a great thing but you kind of just if you're at an event and someone comes to you with like a business proposition you kind of just take it with a grain of salt yeah. you're like oh yeah cool yeah well yeah. be in contact soon you give them your card or, or whatever the case is but usually it's if they're very serious they're gonna actively seek you out um and they'll do it in the right ways they won't you know slide into the dms they'll send you an email um and i think that's what kind of like really separates um you know the people that are generally want to help people mm-hmm. and the people that kind of like want to use it for their own benefit. hundred percent. You've got, you've um, been involved in some incredible opportunities. One of them obviously being involved with Nike. That is some people's absolute dream. And Sel and I actually had a, um, an interview with a potential staff member recently and they were like, Oh, I can't work full time. I can only do a couple of days here and there because I'm actually aspiring to be a Nike trainer. And so it kind of dawned on us like, wow, this is really something that people are just aspiring to be and you're sort of there. What what does it take to be a Nike athlete and what made you sort of get that position? Like so many people out there want what you have. Mm. What is it that you have? I don't know. I actually don't. I just got the email one day and I was like, I looked at the screen and I was like, no 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 this this is like junk email like this nah and i called my mom and i was like mom i i think i'm gonna be signed with nike as like one of their influencers and she was like what no and then when i told my best friend she was like that's what you've always wanted and you know my mom still very much wanted that like modeling kind of background or she wanted me you know well don't forget about your modeling you know she'll always be like don't look too strong like you know i'm like i lean up quite quickly my upper body so i remember going to a couple of runway castings and they're like i tie your hair back and tie my hair back and they're like oh do you work out and like, <laughs> it's like the only time i ever felt self-conscious like about my arms or anything like that so it's two completely different worlds but back to the nike thing i yeah i think i'm just genuine on my instagram um i'm not you know obviously you don't want to post a bad photo of yourself but also like i have so many people that are like put up a stupid video or photo i don't care Mm -hmm. put it up i'll probably repost it like it's just the thing about not taking yourself too seriously and being um relatable to everyone you know a lot of people even in the gym now are always like how do you train the way you do oh my god you're like goals i train the way i do because that's how i've always trained you know i wouldn't suggest everyone go to three sessions every day because 
your body probably won't be able to handle it. Yeah. Sometimes my body can't handle it. Um, but it's just about monitoring your weeks and stuff like that. And I think because I do so many different forms of exercise, running, lifting weights, Pilates, boxing, um, and all that sort of stuff, I don't always feel like I'm doing the same thing. Um, so yeah, I think that was probably one of the things that like relatable, I come from a sporting background, but I've never been like a runner per se. Um, and that was their whole concept of their campaign was, was a go more, get more. And they were trying to get people to realize that they are actually runners. Mm -hmm. Something like 1% of Australians think that they're runners, but like I can run, but I wouldn't consider myself a runner, Mm -hmm. nor do I still now. And I'm about to go run a marathon. Like still don't consider myself a runner. So I think that was just their thing to get more people involved in something that's such like a simple form of movement that doesn't really take a lot of, you know, technique or anything. Obviously you can fix those things up, but um, just something to get people moving. And I was pretty grateful that could be a part of something like that. What I love about this so much is that you weren't actively trying to pursue this. And this is like the most important thing. Like this is the most important message. And like, not that I'm trying to relate our podcast to a Nike sponsorship, <laughs> but Stella and I were talking about it recently where it's like, we were talking about it last night where people are like actively trying to push to get on the podcast. And we're like, kind of doesn't work like that. Yeah. Like we'll seek you out or with, if you're within the circle and you know, we like your vibe or whatever, we want to talk to you. Like this is an opportunity for Stella and I to talk to people and connect with people. And this is like our thing. And so what I love is that you weren't just like actively pushing at Nike and saying, I want to be a trainer, I want to be a trainer, all this sort of thing. You just did your thing. You were authentic. You pushed a good message out there and you eventually sort of pushed into their circle to the point where they reached out to you. I think that's really special. Yeah. And that that was probably the coolest part as well. Like, I mean, I'd been invited to a couple of Nike events before, um, but, you know, there's 50, 60 people and... So there's so many different aspects of Nike. There's Nike women, there's Nike running, there's Nike sports where Nike football, like it goes on and on. So I was doing a couple of things for Nike sports where, you know, I remember there was probably the one event where I was like, oh, I'm kind of, they like kind of really know who I am was, was a Nike sportswear event for the Air Force One, which is like my favorite shoe. Mm-hmm. I've got about 10 pairs of them. And I was one of their key people that they photographed at the event. And I, you know, was like, oh, this is pretty, I thought, mate, oh, this is, everyone's got to do this. There was only like about 50 people at the event, but I was only like one or five or six that they shot. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Then, you know, we had other things that went on from there. It was um, uh, Streetball Madness and all that sort of stuff. So we went to that. And so it was building those little relationships and connections with the PR company and the um, anyone from Nike that was at the event and just being genuine and just chatting and finding out, you know, like they now ask me, what do you like? I remember meeting one of the like um, design research team, one of the guys from there at the Air Force One event, and he was like, you know, like I was like, oh, it's my favorite shoe. I had no idea who he was at that point. He goes, you know, like, what's your favorite, the unisex or the women's version? And I just broke it down and was like, nah, this is why I like this and this and this. And he was like, oh yeah. And I just think having an understanding of their brand. Yeah. And I mean, I worked at Nike retail for like a year when I lived in Sydney after I finished high school, um, when I was like modeling up there and stuff. So. I kind of had an understanding of what their brand's all about and all that sort of stuff. So that was cool. But from that event, when I got the email, they were like, when we were talking, their biggest thing was that we can throw all these amazing events because Nike do fantastic events every single time. But they were like, we can throw these massive events and invite 50, 60 to 100 people. And we kind of have like a little bit of a relationship with them, but not really. 
we want to build connections, relationships, and families. Mm-hmm. They were like, we want to build, you know, a strong connection with eight to ten people and really show this, like, strong connection to our, like, you know, fan base and for you guys to show that I, I'm not just going to a Nike event, I'm part of their, like, we even call it our little Nike fam. Yeah. Um, so it was, it's really great to hear that from such a big company that that's what they wanted to do because it's great for us as, like, you know, in the whole scheme of things, we're only little people, you know, I'm, might be known here in Melbourne, not that I think I am, but like known here in Melbourne, but worldwide, mm-hmm. not really. Um, so for me, it was just great that I was one of those people that they wanted to do that with and, you know, then continue the journey on, you know, for a few, a few other things, Nike sportswear um, and then Nike women, we were part of that. Um, That's dope. Uh, make the world dream the Matilda's campaign uh, make the world listen sorry um, so all about that dream crazier video so to be involved with that was pretty cool um, you're, yeah. you're so humble about this because it's like that very first Nike event that you probably ever went to a lot of people that went to that event probably didn't get invited to a second event mm. do you know what I mean but you were there you were probably on during that event you knew how to get in front of the cameras. You were a professional during that whole process. And then you were invited to the next one. You never know who's watching you at those events. People are watching 100%. And people are watching on social media. And so obviously that's why you get the call up as well. So you get this opportunity because you're being authentic and you're being a legend on social. Then they want to meet you in person to see what you really like. Then they like you, so they invite you to the next event. Then you're you're on so you're getting photos and they're like ah this chick looks good she looks good for the brand and she's a legend sweet Mm. she's coming to the next event and then after a few events i don't even know how many you went to they're like cool we want this chick part of our campaign it's all a build like a uh, massive process a relationship building process whereas people just think it happens boom at the click of the fingers just because you have a certain amount of followers on social i think it's a really important lesson yeah i think you can these types of relationships business relationships you can really like kind of um, compare them to like a relationship with your partner. Yeah. It doesn't just, I mean, sometimes you meet someone, you go, I like you, yeah. but still yeah. there's a, like a gradual process of how you guys, you know, build your relationship and you're always learning from each other and all that sort of stuff. So I feel like you can have to look at it in that type of thing, you know, no relationship or no worthy relationships just going to happen overnight and it's not going to have the backbone to it. And like you said, Everyone is watching, mm. you know, like all of these events, there's alcohol, there's food, you know, everyone's watching and everyone knows when someone's had too much. And trust me, you never want to be that person. Mm. Like I'm, I will always drive to an event. Mm. I'll have one, maybe one and a half. You kind of just hold it and just sip it and whatever, <laughs> depending on where the event is or what I've got on after, maybe have a couple more, but you've just got to be very wary of who's around. And again, it goes back to like where you can then get, you know, there might be not that it ever happened at a Nike event, but any event, you know, maybe there's an older guy that goes, Oh, well, I like the look of her or something like, you know, it's, and they kind of like, Oh, well, here's a business opportunity. And you've had a few and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'll say yes. And then you've already said yes. And you're like, Oh, I, I don't know. So yeah, I think watching what you're doing at an event is very, very um, important in how you want people to perceive you. How did you learn this? Does it come from a manager? Does a manager mm. help in that way? Nah, I already had that one. I think it was just when you play for your country, it's very much like 
you're in your colors country whatever you do while you're in those colors mm-hmm. and in that uniform reflects on your country mm-hmm. and i think i get it from my family as well whatever you do like growing up in a small town whatever you do reflects yeah. on your family's name and i played basketball in aubrey as well and when i was playing for the bandits that's that kind of they're like we only have one team and i was you know like i've been on the team for eight nine years so everyone if you did something wrong out on the weekend or, you know, you're out after a game, people know who you are type thing. Um, so I think I get it from my family, from representing my country and my state, even New South Wales and stuff like that. Everything you do reflects on that. Um, and I think that's just kind of carried through yeah. kind of all the way. I think um, another key thing, like you said, when you're doing this stuff in particular in relation to your family, it's hard to be as driven and as motivated as you are if you don't have like some type of grounding or purpose behind it, because no one, to be honest, no one's going to get up and train three times a day for the sake of just training for three times a day, or no one's going to do all the hard things you do or look after themselves as much or go to these events and do all these things without obviously having a belief of gaining further in life. But you also have to be doing it for, it may be your family, maybe friends, it may be, a partner, there has to be more of a reason because I think a lot of people just think, I'm going to do this for myself and I'm going to maintain my discipline and do all these things. You can only get so far if you're just doing something for yourself because it, it falls apart. You you eventually get tired and you're like, oh, I'll sleep in this morning. And then that sleep in becomes two-day sleep in. And then all of a sudden it kind of just becomes not lazy, but it becomes a habit. Yeah, it's the exactly. momentum. It's like a yeah. snowball effect. Yeah, snowball effect. So it's all. It's almost like if you can't find, you need to find a good enough reason to maintain the discipline. Because if not, you just end up not really being able to progress as far as you want. Did you get your discipline? I think it's probably because of your family, because you've mentioned them a few times that um, you're in a small town, small community. You obviously wanted to represent them um, to the highest of the, to the highest of your ability, but in turn represent yourself as well, and then your country and everything like that. Is that what motivates you? Yeah, definitely. I think it comes from my family. Yeah. Um, that's probably like the you know first kind of motivation, other than like myself, I guess, yeah. or wanting to be good at something. Um, you know, my brother being four years old, I wanted to do everything he did. Yeah. So he played soccer. I want to play soccer. Yeah. Let's just say ball sports with my feet. I'm not very good at yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stick to just using my hands. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, like I would sit, I just remember like I wanted to do anything he did because yeah. that's, you want to, you want to aspire to be someone you look up to. I looked up to my brother, yeah. you know, even when we were kids, like we used to sit there and watch cricket in the summer found it the most boring thing but yeah. he loved it so i loved it yeah. um and i think my mum my mum's very hard working um at our family motel they call her um uh basil like from faulty towers yeah. like upstairs down the stairs upstairs down. Yeah. she's everyone all of yeah. the guests are always like because we have a lot of regulars that come in they go yeah. god your mum just never stops does she from 2 30 to like 11 30 yeah. she's on her feet running around doing this doing that and I've always taken that into jobs as well. You know, I started working at the family motel when I was 12, just when we had like, you know, a few functions and then built it up. Then I started working at my cousin's restaurant and I was working at Nike and stuff as well. And I've just always had a like great work ethic and initiative. And I think that definitely comes from my mum and watching her 
and her family in how they, you know, go around the motel and stuff. And I've just always taken that with me wherever I go and being efficient. It's funny, everyone at work now is always like, God, I like working with you. You're just so efficient. I was like, well, why would I want to take two times as long to do something that can be done in half the time when I want to like, because I want to get home to like my housemates or my boyfriend or like, I don't want to be, I've been here all day. Like, I think it's just one thing that I've just always been, I've always just had a good work. I think think that was just like built into me from whether when I was born or just like when I was younger and, yeah, I think I think it's grown because I definitely know um, me personally with my mum and dad. The last thing I ever wanted to do was to let them down. Like that was always I can remember from maybe even three. Like thinking, gee, like they've worked so so hard that if I was to just go slack off or fuck off, or that would like it would crush them because mm. I know how much they'd put in. So always in the back of my head, I was like. I need to keep working, need to keep working, keep studying. If I'm doing sport, they pay, They paid for this tennis racket. I know how much work my dad driving around, doing taxis, doing dishes at night and all that type of stuff when I was young, how much it would have, the effort he put in for me to hold this racket. So I can't let them down. So, And then I think that transfers across Miles' only child as well that so you do that for your parents, but then naturally, um, when you start doing stuff for other people, it also there's also that symbiotic kind of relationship. So when I see you doing all the stuff that you do, and then you train people and you coach and everything like that, you're obviously a very selfless person. Like you give a lot, mm-hmm. like heaps, or probably to a fault, like a lot of us often do, where you can take a lot of energy from you. How do you maintain the balance of obviously giving? because you do that day in, day out, but at the same time, find the balance to still train yourself, still look after yourself, um, maintain healthy relationships with your partner, with your friends and Mm. that side of stuff when you've got so much on the go at all times. It is hard and it's about finding that balance, just like, you know, balancing everything. Um, But yeah, I'm definitely have always been one of those people that just loves to give, um, whether it's presents, whether it's making, I love cooking, I will constantly cook. And my, my friend's like, God, I've got to cook for you one time. I was like, it's fine. I enjoy cooking. Yeah. Like, you know, I'll cook for the house. I'll cook for six, seven, eight people. That's fine. I have no qualms about it and it's all easy, but it's just, that's just what I just enjoy doing. And um, I think training, like, you know, being a PT, I think a lot of people think it's an easy thing. Like, no. oh, what do I want to be? I'll be a PT. That'll be easy. But you know, like holding pads and stuff, it does take a lot out of you. You know, you might work morning classes, then you're straight into clients, then you maybe take a lunchtime class, clients, and then go to break. Then you're gonna find somewhere to train, and then you might have clients or classes in the afternoon. Um, and without even realizing, it takes so much of a toll on your body, your shoulders, and then lack of motivation. Maybe you haven't eaten as much that day because you haven't had a chance. So then you're tired. And I'll be the first one. I mean, I don't like training at two thirty in the afternoon. Yeah. No one does. Mm-hmm. You know, it's either I love to get my workout done in the morning, yeah. but sometimes I have to sacrifice myself for my clients and that's okay. Maybe that means I get up another, you know, an hour early and just get a quick 30 minute sweat in, just something. So then I find that if I've done something early in the morning, once it gets to maybe I've got a break at 2.30, I feel like training again. Um, if I haven't done that, I probably feel a little bit sluggish and I'm like, oh, just nah, yeah. I won't train. I'll, I'll train later. 
or today's my rest day. Um, but I think finding that balance is hard um, at times. Sometimes it is easy. Um, I'm pretty lucky that I always train with my partner usually in the afternoons. Um, you know, even if I'm working in the afternoons, have about an hour and a half where we can kind of train together and just having that motivation um, of someone just being like, all right, let's go. And maybe you don't feel like training, but I think finding someone, whether it's a friend or a partner or a work colleague or anyone that just goes, all right, let's get it. Like it's a bit of accountability um, because that's at a point, it's not just doing it for you. It's doing it for someone else. If I don't get up and go to this 6 a.m. session, they're going to be there by themselves and they're going to be mad at me because I didn't get up, you know. And there was throughout fire camp, that's what we did, me and Megs, every morning, 6 a.m. Without a doubt, we'd see each other at the gym. Um, And then some morning she'd message and be like, I don't know if I want to come. I might just sleep in. I'm like, okay, well, I'm up. I'll probably still go. And she goes, okay, I'll come. Yeah, Yeah, like it's just that bit of accountability. But I think it's about finding enough balance in what you love like if you don't love your job then you're gonna be like oh my god all i do is work 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 i don't have a social life i don't have time for me but it's about finding little snippets of time for yourself throughout the day like it's as simple as like maybe you go to the bathroom you're just sitting there for five minutes and you just on even if it's just on your phone like you just want to catch up on social media like just sitting in there just like yep scroll 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 and that's just like five minutes all right that's my recharge because Obviously, in the gym, you've got a lot of noise. You know, we're in an industrial area, so you've got trucks, you've got people bipping the horn, you've got a lot of music all the time. Sometimes you just want silence. Mm. Um, for me, sometimes it's just going to get my nails done or something like that. You know, running isn't uh, very graceful on the feet. So, um, yeah, just little things like that, or it's um, going for a walk, or I don't know. I'm not a massive shopper, I do enjoy buying things for people. And I do enjoy buying things for myself, but like I will just walk around a shopping center just because I want to walk around a shopping center by myself, drink coffee and whatever. But um, yeah, I don't really have a lot of time to chill out. I try and read when I can. Um, you know, a lot of people go, oh, you need to meditate more because you don't have that balance. You're always like up here and always like high, but maybe you need to be like a little bit like, you know, find that bit more of happy meet and go to yoga. I was like, I can't sit still. My mind's always running a million times an hour. So for me, like a steady state sort of like cardio is probably like my sort of meditation, whether it's yeah. just like, you know, like an easy 30 minute, 40 minute jog or something yeah. like that. That's my form of meditation. Or I, I do try and read when I get the chance, but I'm real bad with, I can't stop in the middle of a chapter. I have to go right to the yeah. end. So if it's even 1130 <laughs> at night, I'm like, I've got to finish this chapter. Yeah. So that's probably like my downfall in that, that I probably don't have enough time throughout the day to really like enjoy reading a book. And yeah. I don't like reading a chapter and then, not seeing it for a week. So, yeah. What's your, um, flipping the script, what's your opinion on the whole women in sport thing versus men in sport thing, all this sort of stuff? You've competed at the highest level. I feel like you just don't play in that discussion. You don't even care for that discussion or am I wrong? I mean, it's hard because of course you want to like be involved in that discussion, but at times you're like, I don't know, you know, like Lauren Jackson, for example. So my, she's from Aubrey where I'm from. Um, our parents used to play together and um, well, our mum, sorry, used to play together. So like, you know, growing up, she was always like a massive deal for me. And when you're young, you don't really think of money when in sport. You're like, oh, I just want to play this sport. And, you know, she was the best in the world making a third of what the worst player on the worst NBA team was playing. And that kind of stuff, I'm like, well, how's that fair? Like, you know, she's yeah. 
the best in the world. Everyone knows who she is in basketball, if you know basketball, but no one knows who he is and he's getting three times more. But I had the discussion with a friend last night, actually, and we're talking about it. And um, it comes down to, her um, discussion was that it comes down to how much that they bring to the sport. So, you know, like women's AFL and just men's AFL, like, men bring so much more to the sport, so much more money because people want to watch it. So, of course, you guys are going to get more money. But right now, not a lot of people want to watch women's AFL um, because it is a new thing or whether they, you know, don't like watching women's AFL. So, there's just not as much money in that field. I I do believe that it should be more even, but I do believe that, like, also women's AFL is so new to, like, AFL, so it is a new thing and a new concept for people to get their heads around because this discussion came from, I heard on the radio yesterday, someone was like talking about, all right, you know, the discussion, like the call in was say something that like really pisses you off or something like that. And this lady calls in and goes, women believe in they should have the same like, you know, rights or like equality money that men in sports. And they were kind of like, Oh, Oh, that's a bit serious one. But it kind of like got me thinking and, in particular sports where it's always been men and female, but it is hard because men have always been seen just like the more dominant and more like exciting to watch. I'll be the first to say I'd rather watch a men's basketball game than a female's basketball game. I mean, females is like still, because I appreciate it and I know how yeah. hard we work and stuff. I do still like it, but it's just the excitement of the yeah. dunks and where, you know, they're more athletic and they're a bit more physical because they're bigger bodies, but then you can bring it down to the workplace. Well, what's the difference of a female lawyer and a male lawyer if they've done the same schooling, the same course, the same everything, they're at the same level in their job if the male's getting paid more? Well, you know. Yeah. I know that argument gets um, brought up heaps and my always counter with it was I felt as long as they were doing the same thing, they should get the same pay. Mm. Um, but I also agreed with the aspect of saying if someone's bringing in more revenue for the sport per se, then clearly they probably are going to get a bit of, bit of bigger percentage. But new school sports, like call it martial arts, mixed martial arts, Ronda Rousey was the highest paid because she was bringing in the most revenue. Like most people wanted to see her. She would do five-round fights. Males would do five-round fights. She was allowed to kick, punch, armbar. Males were allowed to do the same thing. So she, for a while, was the highest paid. And I think that's like a fairly new mentality because it's a new sport. So people don't look at it and think oh, AFL's been around for, let's just call it 150 years. It was all guys, and then up until the last two years, there's been females or three years. So there had been such a big history that people are getting onto women's AFL. I've watched it. I think it's quite exciting. And so a lot of people, as the sports get more mature um, and females enter it, they slowly start to build up. Some, the disparity is crazy, like... Mm basketball like you said the disparity in that is like quite huge but in tennis it's been brought in a lot more so but it's like a- this is a thing like i i i i kind of disagree because i think like ufc and mixed martial arts is a perfect example because you and i talk about it all the time how we follow the fighter's journey and we're probably even more excited about the showtime or the embedded or the pre-fight sort of lead up to the fight than the actual fight. 
the thing with tennis, like Serena's and all these women who have built their brands and people know who they are and their stories are getting paid ridiculous amounts of money. When you start thinking about an AFL team, where's the connection? It's almost like a business. Like Sel and I always talk to our clients and we're like, humans connect with humans. Humans don't connect with businesses. It's the same thing. Humans aren't going to just connect with a team. They're going to connect with individuals on that team. It might be a few individuals, you know, um, and then they're going to back that team. But I feel like there's a massive opportunity for women who are smart Women who, and there are some in women's um, AFL who I reckon are probably making good money because they're standing out. They they know that they can build their brand. They want to tell their story, get in the public eye, and it's making more people want to follow their journey. And so, like, I know that if I followed a particular athlete, I would want to watch their team play because of that athlete and what they're doing. David Beckham, you always wanted to watch England because of David Beckham. How is he going to play? I didn't know anyone else on the team. I didn't care for the English soccer team, but it's It's, bringing eyes to the It definitely is. There is, though, the counter of there is only so much money in women's AFL. Like, it's controlled by the AFL. The AFL says you have $3 million amongst women's AFL league to separate that amongst X amount of teams, which they do because... But it's look- not going to be the AFL that brings more money in. It's going to be the people on the team who bring the, the eyeballs of, that bring the course. money to yeah. AFL and then AFL distributes it back to so them. So it's like the push and pull theory yeah. though because people are waiting for the AFL to go out and go, we're going to promote whoever it is as the face of women's sport and put more money into TV ads, billboards... Digital, don't wait for them. Be a They're, Montana and exactly. get out there. And so the yeah. other way is clearly, like you're saying, go out. And there are people, obviously, in the sport that are going out and making noise and doing all those things. Ronda Rousey is a perfect example yeah. because Dana White, on record, said there will never be women fighting in the UFC promotion. Like said it multiple, multiple times until someone said, "No, nah, fuck that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go out and make that much noise." and do so much that you can't ignore us. Now, women's MMA is huge, like, like absolutely massive, but it took someone. It, like, it will take, or a group or individuals, to really, really go out and make enough noise that people go, okay, we need to see that. Um, I reckon Montana's but, one of these people. <laughs> I was just going to say, it takes someone like a Ronda who didn't give a shit. She was yeah. like, I don't give a fuck what you think about me. I'm going to do me. I'm going to show you I deserve to be... Yeah on that world stage as well. I think it takes someone like that or like you said, a group or whatever the case is. I think Taylor Harris being someone that's like a multi-sport, like she's great at obviously she's a champ and they won this year and she's like probably the well, most well-known AFL player um, that it can be done. Like how many multi-sport males really are there? Like, you know, that are doing two things, not saying that they can't at all, but um, I think it just takes someone like that. You know, now she's got a statue up in Fed Square and Crazy. stuff like that. So, and that all started from social media because yeah. someone took a photo, then it starts from there and made a bit of noise. And mm-hmm. now people are like, How, who's this Taylor Harris chick? I mean, hers can't, her noise came from her game spoke, but then there was also the socials that followed. But Rhonda was just like, yeah. didn't mm-hmm. care. Just like, you know, and she didn't have it easy either. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you read her story, I read her book and... Yeah felt really like touched by that and how hard she worked and like how little she had. And then 
and it, I think it's the mindset of people that's going to really get them out. Like I'm currently, I'm reading David Goggins, um, Can't Hurt yeah. Me. And I'll listen to his podcast over and over again. Yeah. Just like if I'm like, God, today's going to be a hard session. I'll chuck his podcast in. Right. And I'm like, damn, if he can run a hundred miles and he's peeing blood and yeah. shit, I can get through this 30 minute session, yeah. you know? Um, so reading his book, like his mindset's just something different. Yeah. Like, I think you've just got to have that. Like, why do we aspire to have that mindset? Why don't I mean, we want to just cruise? I mean, there's also the aspect of um, the people that cruise, to be honest, uh, you become like wallpaper and no one hates you. You're not controversial. So there's no risk. Like you, you can go and live this nice life and there's no risk. Like Rhonda or, or people like that put themselves out there to be like crushed. Is, is it like, human nature to want to be... To have the attention? Is that what we're trying to get at? Is that like his mentality pushes him forward? It garners attention? He's not very... I think he just... I think there's like two people... Like two types of people that do like try and get that attention. People for the right reasons and people for the Mm -hmm. reasons that they want that attention and people for the reasons that they'll just be like, I'm different than all of you guys. You know, like he was one like 13 um african-american seal um, african-american navy seals, navy seals that yeah. like made it through hellway yeah. he went through like six of them or something like <laughs> who puts themselves through that like he put himself through this because he wanted to he wanted to see how far he could push his body not because everyone was like if yeah. you do this you're gonna get this there was no there was no reward no so reward it's just point. self will it is it's a self-fulfillment that's yeah. his reward yeah. Yeah. is that how uh-huh. you feel yeah i don't do it for like the attention of like you know, here I am, I just completed a marathon. Like, everyone tell me how good I am. That's been on my bucket list for years. Mm-hmm. And I was just never like, I was just always like, how am I going to do it? Like, like you know, I haven't, I can't run. My mind was like, I get to 10K and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so bored. Like, that was just my type of thing until this year when I started with Nike. And it was just like, I found like a new love for running. Um, and now I'm like, okay, I think I can do this. Like, I can do a half pretty easy. Did 30Ks the other week. Like, you know, I'd done 9Ks earlier. So I almost did like a, a full in a day. Um, but again, I did that half, uh, that 30, sorry. I wasn't originally going to do it. My boyfriend was like, I'm going for a massive run tonight. And I was like, how far are you running? He's like, not telling you. Because I did 25Ks on Monday. And he was like, no, nah, not telling you. I was like, well, that's not fair. Like, come on, how far? And he's like, I'm going to do 30 because you did 25 on Monday and I'm going to beat you. <laughs> Bit of healthy competition. Like, we're very much like that. And I was like, well, I'm on my way back from this event. So I'm going to come join you. And, um, yeah, so we did that. And the whole time I was like, we were 5Ks in. And I was like, oh, my God, who thought this was a good idea? And I was like, in my head, I was like cursing him so bad. I was like, who the fuck thought this was a good idea? Like, fuck you. I hate you. And every, like, 5K would be like, how are you feeling? He's like, yeah, I'm feeling good. And he's like, how are you? I'm like, cooked. And then I'd be like, how is he feeling good? Like, I run more than him. I was like, this isn't fair. And then we got to, like, the halfway point. We turned around and goes, thank fuck that was halfway i'm cooked and i was like about time (laughs) and but i wouldn't have been able to do it without him like you know there was so many times i was like i want to walk this but i my brother like when we used to do triathlons i remember there was one time um we were doing like a run and i was i'm four years younger so i was probably like about 11 and i just wanted to walk like you know started off strong yeah everyone's out running hard and then i kind of died down he goes we do not stop we don't stop. We don't walk. We just keep moving. And that's always, that's always stuck with me. Like we keep moving forward mm-hmm. no matter how slowly 
just keep moving forward. You don't have to be at the same pace as the person. It's like in swimming, you know, like you always look, you see someone's always looking at like who's in the lane next to them. Don't worry about people on the outside. Just focus on your lane, focus on what you're doing and you'll get to where you want to get to. You'll reach whatever goal it is you want. You know, like I think that's just a big thing. You know, obviously worry, not worry about what people are doing, but admire and look at what people are doing on the, you know, next to you. Maybe you can take something from them. Maybe you can collaborate. Maybe your lines merge at some point, but always focus on your end goal and try not to ever, you know, move or away from that. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing is people get persuaded by someone so easily or, you know, oh, that person's doing that, so I've got to do that. Just just focus on you. I think that's some really, really good advice. People out there are wanting to build a personal brand. They're wanting to, you know either commercialize it into some sort of a business or they just want to work with brands. What are, what's some advice you can give to people about building your personal brand? Be you. Be 100% wholeheartedly you. People will see through it if you're not. Um, you know, you'll most likely go into a meeting and they'll be like, tell us about yourself. I'm the first to admit, I talk about myself. Like, you know, and everyone's like, oh my God, you're always so humble and you've done all of this. And I was like, but I don't really, I just say that's just my life. Like that's just what I've done. Just like if you ask anyone else what they've done, I don't see it any different. But, you know, I, I remember walking into a um, meeting for when I like was going to do commentary. And I'd never done commentary before. I'd done like, you know, where I've been asked questions on the you know, like live from basketball and stuff like that. And, you know, you know, but I've been the one that's been asked the questions and this commentary is so different sitting in the room from three people and they go, all right, they don't know me from a bar of soap. They go, tell us about yourself. And they were kind of like going to the meeting. We're like, oh, maybe we'll use it. We're not sure. And then I could just tell it. And they're like, all right, well, you know, if like, if, if you want to, you know, do this and do this journey with us and it works out and whatever, then we'd love to have you on board. And it was just like, just by me, just like how I, and it didn't, it wasn't just about how I spoke and, what I was telling them it was about how I looked and how I stood and it's all about you know posture and if you walk in slunched over like hey how you doing give a shitty handshake you're gonna be like oh this person doesn't care firm handshake look them in the eye posture shoulders back I get that from modeling as well from like my grandfather always being like shoulders back so you know that's just another European thing that we've always like kind of got embedded in us but I think just be you be confident in who you are and know that if they say no, it's not because of you. It's just that it's just not the right fit. Like modeling for me, I was, you get rejected and rejected and rejected and it was hard. But what I had to remember was it's nothing about me. It's just, I'm not right for the job. Mm -hmm. Maybe they wanted someone with dark hair and blue eyes. Maybe they want someone a little bit shorter, a little bit bigger. You know, it's not me and there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just not right for that job. So, what do you guys think about all the people who are like, but I don't know who I am? I think everyone has an idea of who they are. I think you just go out and do something hard. You'll find out who you are pretty quickly. When when things go to shit, you find out who you are. And if you do enough, not go out purposely to seek shitty things, but if you do enough things that test your mind, test your soul, test your spirit, test your body, You'll find out who you are. I just if so, when someone says that to me, I'm just like, 
you probably haven't done much. Mm-hmm. Like you just haven't gone out and experienced enough. Go, you haven't done anything that challenges you. Yeah. Like I did Red Bull Defiance, which is a 150-kilometer adventure race. Yeah. It was the start of September. And everyone was like, you are crazy. Like we were whitewater rafting, kayaking, mountain bike riding and running two days up in Cairns. I was like, whitewater rafting, yeah, that'd be yeah. sweet. Like, you know, cool 10K. So that was the easy part. Like, then we abseiled, never abseiled before. And the night before, they're like, if you haven't abseiled, come over here, we'll show you how to work the house. I was like, nah, yeah. <laughs> I'll figure it out tomorrow. We'll be right. I'm like, standing up, I'm like, I'm like on this bridge, and I'm like, never fucking abseiled before. Like, yeah. how the fuck do I do this shit? And like, my like race partner, Jenna, was like, just like, like, you'll be fine. And I was just like, fuck it, there's only water at the bottom. I've done, I've jumped up bridges higher than this. We'll be yeah. fine. Yeah, jumped in, and then we're off into a run, and like, the run for us was like the easy part. Like we were like, yeah, we'll have this. And it was meant to be 23 and it ended up being 26. So we're looking at our watches. We're like, are we lost? Yeah. Like, oh my God. Like then you start to like, friend be like, I don't know where I am. No yeah. one can help me. You start to get delirious as well. And then we, anyway, we found our way. We've got a 53 kilometer mountain bike ride ahead of us. I didn't think, I had no idea how bad this was going to be. I thought mountain bike ride. They said it was probably going to take you four and a half hours. The terrain, I've never mountain bike ride like that before in my life. I was not comfortable. I was scared as shit. We're going up hills, like inclines like this, and then straight down. Like, you know, you think, like when you run or go up a hill, you're like, all right, this is a massive incline, but there's a way down. You know, whatever comes up must go down and vice versa. But the terrain, like I was shit scared. I was throwing my bike. I was just like, I cried. I was like, I need my mom. Like, And again, you're getting delirious. You're lack of water and you're, everything slowly creeps up and I was like not that I couldn't do it physically because I could if that was a run yeah I'd be fine it was I didn't have the skill set so then my whole like you know then post-race I was like if I want to do this again I need to you know go do that and I remember we were riding we were going across a river Ben, but it was just off a massive decline and as we came to the end I kind of stopped jumped off my bike and walked it across and I heard bikes coming down and it was my boyfriend, his race partner, who's one of my mates. And I said, it was just like seeing someone that I knew I was comfortable in and trusted and I broke down. And I'm not someone that cries easily. Like I hate crying, but it was just like, I really found out who I was. I was like, you know, I, don't stop moving. I kept going, but I felt bad, not just from me in that I didn't prepare myself enough. I was letting my teammate down because I was like, I can't go as fast as you and I'm sorry but you have to wait with me because, but then the same thing happened the next day on the 18 kilometer kayak. She was breaking down, but I was the strong one. Like it was, you know, vice versa. And we were just like, you just find yourself out in the dark situations. Like go to those dark spots and like, what do you you learn? What did you learn from that race and things like that about yourself? That I can do anything now, really. Like, you know, now I'm about to run a marathon when I haven't really prepped for it. I've done one 30 K run and now we're in taper week. Really? Um, just found that like, if you want it, you can do it. Like if you really, really want it, what's stopping you other than your mind? Like, you know, your body, your mind will be able to take you places that you're like, your body will just follow. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me now I'm like, you know, before thinking about doing like a half marathon, that's just like a race. Like, you know, back home over the weekend, I did a half marathon just on a Saturday afternoon and then, you know, do a 25K and then did 30. Like before the before the week, was, or before Wednesday was up, I'd already done 65Ks for the week and like that was in three days. And then, I mean, I didn't run again, I don't think. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, 
yeah, it was just one of those things that like now I, I don't look at like a 30K run and go, oh, shit, mm-hmm. I don't think I can do that. Okay, now I kind of look at everything like, let's give it a crack. That's perfect. Yeah. Whether it's business, no matter yeah. what it is, once you've done that 30K, it doesn't look as big anymore. Yeah. So you can go to the next level and it's just building your threshold and it's just yeah. stretching it out. And the easiest thing in things like that is just breaking it down, mm-hmm. breaking down the 30K into three tens, into six fives. Yeah. You know, yeah, just not looking at things as such a you know, monumental thing, just breaking it down into little achievable steps. Like for us, for Defiance, it was like this was a six-stage event. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what three stages we have tomorrow. All right, white water raft, let's just worry about this. This is fun. This is easy. You know, a bit of adrenaline spike here. Yeah. All right, the run, let's just focus on the run. Let's just break it down. All right, now we've got a mountain bike ride. Let's just get through this. Mm-hmm. Day done. One day done. We can do the next. Like that was 92Ks. Next day was only 60. It's yeah. really good advice. Even for us in business right now, we're going through a lot and it's easy to get overwhelmed mm. with all of the big pictures, but just breaking it down into little manageable bite-sized pieces is yeah. great advice. One thing, um, obviously we can talk forever because you do so many cool things. Um, but one thing we do at the end of the podcast is ask for a concept, uh, a motivation you live by, a statement, uh, an experience, a quote, anything it might be to leave our listeners. Do you have anything that you live by? Um, oh, a few things, but one thing I'd probably, this is one thing that's always stuck with a few people when I've said it. So I always ask, why do you train the way you do? Why do you, you know, what motivates you? And at the time when I was asked this particular question by this particular person, we're at Tribute um, and we have a couple guys that are in wheelchairs that come in and do the class or do one-on-ones. And I said, because see that guy right there? If he can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it for myself, but I'm also doing it for everyone that can't. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there might, there's people that have been in accidents that were phenomenal athletes and stuff like that, and now they can't do anything. So I'm doing it for those that can't, but also for myself. I think that's one thing that, you know, literally I'm like, well, if he can do it, what's stopping me? Like, but um, then I guess a bit of motive, not motivation, but just like I said, be you, be comfortable in who you are. Let the world see how unique you are. Awesome, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.